Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Guys, I want to I start by introducing my family to you, something just personal about uh, myself. And be ready. I'm going to ask, I know some of you guys are sitting uh, just by people you know. Um, we're not uh, by anybody, but I'm going to ask that you, after I introduce my family, you uh, move to a table where there's other people at least, even if you do know them, because this is going to come to play at the end of our uh, time in this class today. So uh, I didn't do this last week, but this is my wife, Andrea, and I. So we've been married seven years, come this May, May 13th, which, by the way, Allison told me this last week, so I don't mean to put you on the spot, uh, 60 years of marriage last week, right? That's pretty wild. That's something worth celebrating for sure. So how'd you do it, Mary? How'd you stick with him? You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, that's awesome. Seriously, something something to celebrate for sure. Um, Andrea and I have been married for seven years, going on a, a Huffman 60, uh, hopefully, and uh, this is us. We were at, uh, in February, visiting some of our impact partners in Mexico, and this is actually, it's called Bo- uh, Boca Chica Beach, I think, but it's the SpaceX beach in South uh, Brownsville, Texas, South Padre Island area, so you have to go through SpaceX, which is like that Elon Musk guy's space company. You get to see their big, somebody is calling me. It's okay. I'm here for you guys. I got to figure out how to put this on. Do not disturb. Um, anyways, you got to see like the big rockets and stuff, which is pretty cool. The beach was not so cool because it was like 50 degrees and kind of misting, but it was fun. This is Willie. Uh, Willie. What happened? Uh, Willie. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> okay, that was weird. Um, oh, it's probably because somebody tried to call me. Um, Willie. That's Willie. He's our two-year-old. Uh, loves adventure. Loves going down slides. He, his, his confidence outmatches his ability, for sure. Um, Willie is going to be two in May. A lot of stuff happening in May, um, which is really fun. Our anniversary is May 9th. His birthday is May 13th, which is pretty cool. So he's Willie, and this is Murphy, rounding out our family of four. He's uh, seven and a half months old, which is pretty fun. Uh, on his face is carrots, so he just started eating you know, real solid food last month which is pretty fun. That's my family. Like I said, I'm going to ask you to move uh, tables to be closer to people. You guys, you guys got to go somewhere. You can't, you guys have been married 60 years. You can't be together. I'm going to give us about three to four minutes to get to know names and just general updates, top three things about you. So go wherever you want to go. All right, you chatty Cathy's. Uh, I have tricked you because tonight there's going to be a lot of discussion and you need to be at a table with other people. So I'm glad that you were there. This will actually, getting to know people is important for the end of the lesson, but throughout the lesson there will be uh, questions to talk about at your table. So now you get to talk to these people that you just met which, or have known for a long time. Let's do a recap of um, what we talked about last week, just really quick. If you have the notes, or if, I'm sorry, if you don't have the notes, you can get them back there uh, on the table. Let's talk a little bit about what we talked about last week. Paul was a missionary, and he, in Acts chapter 16, it tells us the story of Paul uh, going to start the church in Philippi 10 years before he, he wrote the letter that we're studying uh, in this classroom. 
The church in Philippi has been or was a major supporter of Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry cost because he was traveling. We know that different times Paul spent uh, time working. He was a tent maker for a season of his life, but he also relied on support, financial support from uh, churches. And the church in Philippi was probably his biggest supporter. This letter is filled with affection and gratitude uh, for the church. It's really a letter of joy and encouragement and gratitude. Uh, There's a little rebuke, but not a lot. Um, It's more encouragement and just uh, family matters, you know. Paul was writing this letter from prison. He was in house arrest or on house arrest. Uh, We believe in the city of Rome. There are a few people who believe it was in Ephesus and they're wrong, but the majority of people believe it was in Rome. It really doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, The context and what is true is that he was in prison when he was writing this letter. So here's a question I want you to discuss with your newest, bestest friends. Uh, When you picture and think of the word prison, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Talk about it for like 60 to 90 seconds. All right, I need, I want one person from at least two tables to share. When it comes to prison, what do you guys think? What's a word or something that comes to your mind? Or a theme? Bad. (laughs) Not not, not a place you want to be. I get it. All right. Uh, this table. Dark and dingy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Not light. Or at least fluorescent lights, if there are, if there are lights, that sort of thing. Yeah. I love it. Miss Mary? Oh, time out. You went to Rome? That's pretty awesome. Wow. The uh, Maritime? Mar- Do you remember what it was called? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so this is, I was reading, and this is not a verifiable fact, this is just what I think I remember, is that that is one of the only cities in the city proper of Rome, which is why they have a pretty high degree of certainty that that's where the place that Paul uh, was imprisoned, is because there are really no other options for him to, to go to within the city of Rome. Um, something with the law, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, that's pretty cool you guys went to go there. And, and what was like the word or phrase you would use to describe that prison? That you said? (laughs) Cave, cave, cave. There you go. I love it. I love it. This table? Yeah. Yeah. None of you guys have described a place that seems like a joyous place to uh, spend your time. And that's what is so intriguing about Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. This is Paul uh, referring to his time imprisoned in Rome. He was on house arrest. Uh, Epaphroditus was the man who probably carried this letter from Rome back to Philippi. And Epaphroditus undoubtedly would have given the church there in Philippi a report on how Paul is doing, right? Uh, They would have wanted to know, but Paul also wants to tell them in his own words. He can't do it with Zoom. That wasn't an option, right? Uh, He had to do it with writing. And so this next section that we're studying this evening uh, has to do with Paul's time in 
prison. Now, I went back and listened to the podcast of last week's class, which is really nice because, uh, not because I'm a good teacher, but because I can go back and listen to the things that I said which were wrong. Uh, I enjoy preaching more than I do teaching. This is a teaching setting, right? It's about an hour long. It's more extemporaneous. When I preach, I write out pretty much word for word what I'm going to say. This is a dangerous setting for me because it's not manuscripted. I have notes in front of me, a lot of study, but things just come out and I don't mean them. Fortunately, I only caught two things that I disagreed with myself on from last week. First of which does not matter, but I want to bring it up. This is the cast of The Outsiders. Last week I told you that Matt Damon was in The Outsiders. I met Matt Dillon. Uh, So that's Matt Dillon there in the middle, right? That's Matt Dillon? Yes. Also, I failed to mention the most popular people, which are probably Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze. And this is Rob... uh, Rob Lowe. I thought Rob Schneider, but I knew that wasn't right too. It's just a crazy star set of cast. It really didn't matter. Um, and the next thing that actually does matter a little bit, not necessarily for our salvation, just historical context, uh, I'll mention actually in this because I heard myself listening to myself and I was like, that's not right. I don't know what I was talking about. It was just a little, little one, little quip, but Anyways, here's a map for us uh, to remember where we're talking about. In context, Paul is imprisoned up here in Rome. This church is here in Philippi. It's a pretty great distance. They want to know uh, how Paul is doing over there in Rome. Epaphroditus would have given them a report, but Paul is going to share with them from his own words. Before we talk tonight, I want to pray and remind us that the same Holy Spirit who was in that prison cell uh, or that house arrest with Paul uh, inspiring him as he wrote these words within us tonight, illuminating uh, these words and the meaning and the truth in our study of this scripture. With that on our minds, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into uh, these verses in Philippians chapter 1. Father, thank you so much for Paul and his life. Um, His life was something of a roller coaster, even in his relationship uh, with you. I didn't know if roller coaster is even the right word. It's more of a complete 180, really. And then the the time he spent um, preaching and proclaiming and spreading the gospel was full of highs and lows. But in every high and in every low, even like we're going to see tonight, uh, he was just very content in you, Jesus. And ask, Lord, that you would give us that same spirit. Uh, We know that the same spirit that is in Paul is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for contentment and peace in circumstances that are tough. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is Paul referring to what has happened to me means my imprisonment, my arrest and imprisonment. I don't imagine that I would be in such good spirits if I were imprisoned for my faith. This is why Paul was in prison. Uh, He got in trouble with the religious leaders of the day for proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. He was arrested. He was making appeals. He appealed to Caesar. He went to uh, Caesar and is in prison to stand trial for uh, these, these claims. And he's happy. I don't know if he's happy. At least he's content about it. This is an interesting place for Paul to be, though. Think about Paul's ministry. We know from the book of Acts that Paul took three missionary journeys. 
Paul was a traveler. He couldn't keep still. He had a fire in his bones to go and spread the gospel. Paul was very obedient to that word and the great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. He was a gospel spreader. This was his job. We know that he went from place to place to place. All of those places that you see up there emboldened, Paul went to or at least wrote to. He was engaged in those places. But here's Paul stuck in a prison cell. He was chained to a uh, Roman guard. He could not leave that house. People had to come and care for him. He could not get out. But in the midst of all this, he is resilient in his mission to proclaim the gospel no matter the circumstances, even though this is not the ideal setting for his favorite type of ministry, which is the traveling ministry. Paul is just content and he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is Paul's whole life. He mentions it in Acts 20, 25, that he just wants to preach and proclaim. This is what he cares about doing. And so he finds ways to do it even in prison. And in verse 13, he tells us what he's been doing while he hasn't been imprisoned to spread the gospel. As a result of this imprisonment, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, Paul used to have to go and travel to different cities and go to the Jewish synagogues. This was his custom. And he would proclaim that the Messiah was here in the person of Jesus from Nazareth. Now, Paul's only physical audience are guards, the, 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 the Roman Praetorium guard. These, these men were, um, I don't, I think I told you guys this last um, class. I believe we did. Rome had a civil war and the, the conquering group who won, they knew that bringing so, like hundreds of thousands of soldiers all the way back from this area is where the battle was kind of finished. They knew that was going to be just a logistical nightmare, but also a, a, a dangerous thing because men who know how to fight uh, are good in some circumstances and can be uh, really bad in other circumstances, specifically if they're fighting against you. So most Roman soldiers were not actually allowed in the city of Rome. They were not allowed except for the Praetorium Guard. These were the elite soldiers who were paid more. They were well taken care of. So I told you that Philippi is actually a Roman colony, really uh, resettled by Rome, full of Roman veterans and soldiers. This is where they lived in the actual city of Rome. It was the Praetorium Guard. They were tasked with keeping, uh, protecting uh, important people in Rome. Think of it like the Secret Service here in the United States. These were the elite of the elite. We know that there was about uh, thirteen to 14,000 of them in the city of Rome, but unless they weren't a part of the Praetorium Guard, they were not allowed. These were the emperor's uh, servants, highly paid. Um, they were actually in charge um, the, the person in charge of them uh, had to deny their, their right or claim to the, the Roman Empire. They, this person could legally not become the emperor. So that person was made in charge so they could be no overthrow. Paul's only captive physical audience, apart from people who came to visit him, was this praetorium guard, a, uh, a cyclical group of um, soldiers who came to be chained to him. So these men would have to come to Paul's house wherever he was and they would be chained to him in order to keep him in that house. And while, I mean, first off, it just feels awkward. You know, it's like, hey, 
You know, come over and be chained together. You know, it just feels like a weird setting. But Paul takes, it's worse than an airplane. You know, air, have you been on an airplane and you're like, oh, I hate, hate this two hours. Paul is chained to these people and he takes the opportunity to witness to these men about Jesus. He, he is proclaiming the gospel to them on a rotating basis. Now, we don't know their work schedule, how many men he talked to, but Paul said it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. So this means a lot of people. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I can just only imagine Paul being in a tough place, using the moment that he is in to spread the gospel in things happening. Now, we don't know their response to the gospel, but it seems that word about Jesus is spreading and it's being proclaimed by this man in chains in the name of Jesus. Let's reflect on that phrase for a second. It has been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I am in chains for Christ. I want you to think about if you've ever, you don't have to talk to people at your table about this, but just reflect. Have you ever found yourself in an unfavorable circumstance that you might take captive for the spread of the gospel? Maybe it's a place that you work. That's it for me. Uh, I'm just kidding, guys. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> there you go. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a condition that you have. Uh, maybe it's, it's you're staying at home with kids and you don't want to stay at home with your kids. Have you just ever felt that the, cert, the, the, the place in which you find yourself is not where you really want to be? I can't imagine that Paul wanted to be in this prison setting. But here he is, and he says, I am in chains for Christ. Now, this could mean that he is referencing, he's he's arrested because of his proclamation of the gospel. But knowing Paul and his writings, he always finds the best in the worst. And I think what he is meaning with this statement, I am in chains for Christ, is that Christ has me here. I am held captive, not by the bond of shackles or Rome. Remember, he's already been busted out of prison once before in Philippi. I am in chains for Christ. Paul took this opportunity to be chained to the praetorium guard, man after man, to proclaim the gospel to them. Made me think of this story I heard about this man named uh, Jeff Dabe. Jeff Dabe, when he was born, if you can see here, his hands are bigger than the typical uh, baby hands. These aren't just chunky baby fat. These are, this is a condition that he was born with. And when he tells his story, uh, he talks about how his whole childhood, as his, ar- his arms were abnormally big, he would be made fun of by other kids in, in the class. And it was just a tough time uh, for him growing up. Kids, you know, can be ruthless in those situations. But as he grew up, uh, people encouraged him uh, to find things that he could do that other people weren't as good at because of him. And in high school, he took up wrestling. And he was a pretty good wrestler. Then one night... Uh, his team had a benefit for a fundraiser of some sort and there was an arm wrestling contest and he apparently beat every other high school kid and then every other adult in the whole building. And that set him on a journey of becoming a professional arm wrestler. And now this man is not just a state champion. He's not a national champion. He is a world champion arm wrestler. And if you can see his hands, this is, this is his hand right here. It is massively big. It's not um, elephantitis or anything like that as he went to the, get the doctors checked out. It's just a thing that he was born with, a place where he found himself or a condition he found himself with. And I know this is silly because it's about arm wrestling, but he used it uh, for, for good and for fun. And he found a way to use his unfavorable circumstance of what 
he found unfavorable when he was a kid and he used it for uh, good and for victory. Pretty fun. Uh, next, next verse, verse chapter 14. Paul is still referencing his imprisonment and he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Who's he referencing? He's referencing the church in Rome. Now, the church in Philippi was Paul's uh, first European church plant. Rome being in Europe, there were Christians there before uh, Paul got there. There was a church there in Rome. These people would have been aware of Paul. Uh, Paul uh, was a spiritual leader of the early church no matter what city. And specifically because he was imprisoned in the city of Rome, these Roman Christians, it's likely, this is speculation, but it's likely, just like Epaphroditus was sent by Philippi to take care of Paul on house arrest and to pick up his groceries from Walmart for him, these Christians in Rome uh, would have come and helped Paul in his time of need. So they would have heard updates about what his life was like, why he was in prison. They would have heard the stories of his stonings, his beatings, his shipwrecks to get to Rome. They would have heard all of these things. And he says that this has gained in them, it has brought about in them a confidence in the Lord. And now they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, this church in Rome was in the epicenter of the greatest empire in history. And they had a message that Caesar was no longer the son of God, that he never was in fact, but that Jesus of Nazareth, this little town in Israel, was the son of God. When they would refer to Caesar Augustus, Augustus who was the Roman emperor in the time, they would have referred to him as the son of God, that he would be deity. But now they are proclaiming that there is a new king with a heavenly eternal kingdom who is the son of God. This is the message. And Paul uses the word dare because it is a bold thing to do. Paul is in chains because of this very act. And he's saying now that the church in Rome and the epicenter of the empire is daring to proclaim the gospel without fear. Not only has Paul's chains for Christ allowed him to preach to the Praetorium Guard, some of the most influential figures in Rome, he is now encouraging the church in Rome to be bold and to be fearless. What Paul is doing, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, courage begets courage, right? Just like fear begets fear, courage. You know, when I was in college, you guys have been to uh, Shoal Creek, right? Wildcat Glades, that area before. There's uh, the Grand Falls, which is, I think, the largest continuous waterfall or something, maybe in America, I don't know. Probably not. Missouri? <laughs> Just Missouri? Okay, I was pretty bold in that statement. Uh, courage, man, I'm pumped about Paul and, and waterfalls. I remember this time where uh, we all went, and this is a stupid illustration, but it, it is what it is. In college, we were like, let's jump off this waterfall, right? We had heard of people who did it, but we also heard there were a lot of rocks, and then nobody wanted to be the first to jump until my friend Luke uh, jumped, and he came out okay, and then everybody after that jumped, right? If Luke didn't jump or if somebody didn't take the lead, we probably would never have, we probably just would have stood up there on top of the rock and just looked at it, you know? This is what Paul is doing. Paul is not the only person in the church who has demonstrated great, uh, uh, great audacity or boldness for the faith, but it's certainly something that begets more courage from other people. If Paul were quiet, if he was timid in all of this, Probably the church in Rome, wouldn't, we wouldn't read these words, dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I think you're right, Isaac. Absolutely. And because of my chains, because of my situation, yeah. Questions? Any questions about this? 
This is kind of a movement from one part out into another part. Paul is going to stop talking about um, his imprisonment necessarily. Well, he still kind of alludes to it, but I'm curious if you have any questions about what was happening in Rome at that time. No worries if not. I appreciate Isaac's reflections on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially the Praetorium Guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the church in Rome would have existed. Um, they probably wouldn't have been as emboldened, but you're certainly right about the palace guard. Those men worshipped Caesar. Um, and Caesar, is, Caesar is the son of God. Um, and, and I would love to know, uh, you know, Paul's just a little bit vague in here, um, so we don't exactly know, but when he, when he says... Um, Oh, I've skipped ahead. When he says that um, it's gone through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, you know, what exactly that means, whether it's just, hey, they know who Jesus is now, whether they've accepted him or not. But you're right, Dan, this would have been a, this would have been a first. We can say with a big degree of confidence, this would have been a first for the men in the Praetorium Guard. Because um, they, ha- they would have to have such loyalty to Caesar even to have that job in the first place, right? They probably would have gone through certain things like uh, people in the Secret Service go through vetting, those sorts of things, one of which would have been a complete allegiance to Caesar as God, or the Son of God. Yeah? Wow, everybody's just dropping these cool destinations on us tonight. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So Rome was, uh, I'm sorry, Philippi was nicknamed Little Rome. Um, They had Ius Italicum, which means uh, uh, basically the privileges of Italy is what that means. And they, um, architecture would have been the same. Right now, Philippi, it's a ruined city. It's a world UNESCO heritage site and there's columns and stuff like that. So they would have had uh, statues. They probably would have had, like the Colosseum, they probably would have had stadiums like that. Um, Yeah, they would have had those sorts of things. So and, and Paul actually will allude to this in these next sections about not only his suffering, but also the suffering of the Philippians as well. Because they, while they're not in chains, they are facing the same sort of uh, societal, cultural, legal um, dealings that he would be facing with as well for their faith. Um, so everything about, uh, should, everything may be hyperbole, but a lot about what is true of Rome is also true of Philippi. Because it was certainly a Roman colony settled by Roman uh, war veterans um, and active soldiers as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. Anybody else want to say somewhere cool they've been tonight? I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty awesome. I want to go there. I want to go there. You want to go back? I'll go with you. Huffmans are going too again. I love it. All right. Verse, do what? My, oh, class trip. <laughs> I thought you said my last trip. I was like, Wow. <laughs> this would be that would be an awesome class trip. Oh man, it's going to cost us a lot though. All right, Philippians 1:15. It is true Paul is making a movement here. I just want to make you aware of that. So, he's starting to talk about a different subject. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good will. 
Now, Paul is referring to something the Philippians may have heard about. Um, he's referencing something that they had former knowledge of. We know that by his liter- the literary device where he says, it is true that some preach Christ. This was not something that was unique to Rome. It was probably happening in Philippi and other places as well. Now, it's important for us to remember that Paul isn't the only preacher of the gospel in this, in this time frame, in this era. Um, Paul is, certainly has a spiritual authority that not many people carry in the early church. But like we know when he addresses um, the overseers and deacons in Philippi, there are local leaderships, um, there are traveling ministers, uh, there are other people in this time frame preaching the gospel like Paul is. I think of, I've been studying uh, in the mornings, studying is not the word I should have used, I've been listening to podcasts about uh, American heritage and stuff like that, and I'm in a section on Daniel Boone. Um, when you think of the American frontier, he is somebody who would come to your mind with his, his uh, coonskin hat, right? Um, I've been thinking about, or, or, or reading and listening about Daniel Boone, which is a weird thing to probably spend my time doing, but it's my alone time in the morning before the kids are awake, so don't judge me, all right? I'm doing what I like to do. And one of the things that I have to remind myself is, if, and they mention this in the, in the books and stuff that I'm reading, is that Daniel Boone is the archetype of the American frontiersman, right? He was not the only person going through the Cumberland Gap. He was definitely not the first person to go through the Cumberland Gap. He was not the first person to set sights in Kentucky. He was not the first person to even get to the Missouri Territory. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but he actually passed away in Missouri outside of St. Louis, which is pretty wild. His kid, uh, Nathan Boone, uh, in Ashgrove, Missouri, is that it? That's a town, right? Yeah, it's pretty close to here, right? Springfield area. Um, so that Nathan Boone, they have a homestead site there and, and whatnot. Anyways, it's not important to, that important, but Daniel Boone is representative, really, of the American frontiersmen in the minds of those of us who are not a part of it, right? When we think of the American frontier, we think of people like Dave, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Lewis and Clark, but there were thousands upon thousands of people leaving the East and going West in search of land, resources, gold, whatever. Paul And Daniel Boone had, I mean, I can't speak with much authority on on this. I'm not an expert in this sort of thing. But Daniel Boone had a a certain authority, especially later in his life when people would come to him and interview him. Paul had a very high spiritual authority in the early church, but he was not the only preacher of the gospel. And he's referencing this here when he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. False teaching, false teaching was probably the biggest danger of the early church. Now, the early church faced so much persecution, but they did not consider that a danger to the purity of the faith. That's what I'm referencing when I say it is a danger. To be counted as a martyr or the persecuted was not something of a badge of honor, but it was not something that was dangerous to the church. At least they would not have seen it as dangerous to the church for persecution and martyrdom in almost every instance that we have record of led to the growth of the church. What people are doing and what Paul is referencing to is false teaching and this is something that will destroy the church. There will, in my opinion, Paul makes an an interesting statement that we're going to talk about here in a moment. This is one of the biggest needs of correction for the church is false teaching. Paul goes on to talk about in verse 16, the latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Paul's referencing motive here. He mentions that there are people who are preaching uh, the gospel out of 
pure faith and purity and goodness. And he mentions that some are preaching it out of selfish ambition, or not sincerely, maybe vain conceit. Now, we don't know exactly who he is talking about or exactly what they're talking about. But we do know that several things happened in the early church, still happen today, actually. There are people out there who are self-interested. Uh, they hear the gospel, uh, the message of this new king, and they're trying to get in on an early investment in case this works out, right? They think this is a money-making scheme, People did that. There's the Judaizers. Judaizers were, were Jewish Christians who thought that people still needed to be circumcised. This result, uh, this um, issue had already been resolved probably 10 years, maybe 15 years prior uh, to him writing about this. They wanted to, uh, they were trying to restrict freedom in Christ, if you will. There were also Jews uh, who were trying to make confusion out of um, Jews who did not worship Jesus, I should say, who did not see Jesus as the Messiah, who were trying to make confusion out of this whole mess and stir up trouble. Uh, even pagans were getting in on the action to try and dispel what, what Paul and others were preaching when it came to the true gospel of the faith. Now, this information, and I, and I don't want to celebrate this at all, so that's not what I'm doing. Since, especially since they're still in the news for um, atrocities. But uh, Russia, when it comes to their warfare, um, they're a big army, right? But one of the things that, and when you hear me in context when I say when they ex- that they excel at it, they excel at disinformation. They actually coined a word, it disin- it's in Russian, I'm going to mess it up, so I won't even say it. And it, it entered our vocabulary as the word disinformation. This is how they conduct their war. I don't know if you saw last week, they actually put out a video of... Um, Volodymyr Zelensky, um, basically telling Ukraine troops to lay down their weapons, those sorts of things, right? And you could tell after the analysts were talking you through it, it looked very real. I would not have known. It looked very real. And they basically put a talking head that looked like him on his actual body and, and tried to make everything mimic it, right? This is mastery at disinformation, because they know that disinformation and confusion, they really excelled at this in the Cold War. Um, I wasn't alive during them, but after studying it a little bit, they excelled in the Cold War, and this is why they wanted to create confusion in America and other free states and stuff like that. And if they couldn't go head-to-head, they would create confusion and anarchy within a society. And this is what these false preachers are probably trying to do. How do I know this? This is what the enemy, Satan, tries to do. Jesus calls him the father of lies. This is his language. He is trying to stir up all kinds of controversy and, and deceit and disruption. And this is one of the easiest, one of the most cost-effective ways to take down something that is working, that is good. These preachers of vanity, self-ambition, are simply working for disinformation about Jesus. And Paul is saying, they're stirring up trouble for me while I am in chains. Verse 18 is something that if, if Paul were sitting and teaching this class and he were saying that, I would say, I don't agree with you, Paul. He says, but think that's just because I'm dumb. He says in verse 18, but what does it matter, question mark, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is still a statement. Verse 18 is still a statement that I wrestle with. And to be completely honest with you, I don't fully understand why he is saying this. Because to me, it seems like, no. If I were to get up, you know, being part of the preaching team, if I were to get up and say something on stage on a Sunday morning and it was heresy, if it was false, if it was trying to stir up deceit and disinformation about the gospel of Jesus, Mark would have my butt out of that pulpit as faster than, you know, third service gets out. I don't know, you know. But not, not, 
not Paul. He says, but what does it matter? He's almost like he's saying, so what? You know, Christ is being, being preached. Not all those, these are a couple of notes on this section. Not all those who preach Christ do so out of a love for Christ. Some do out of a love for self. Paul's tone on this subject, and this is really all I have to say, is just surprising, but it's noteworthy. And I know this, it's not a condonement of heresy. I think it's more, when I, when I come to try to interpret this, I think it's more one of those God can work all things for good sort of situation. Um, that's really all I have about that, that verse. It just puzzles me, you know, when I read it and read it again. Yeah. For sure. An answer. Yeah. Yeah. This sort of thing too, um, you know, and when you when you read the gospels, Jesus will heal people or do something and he'll say, Hey, don't don't tell anybody I did this. Those sorts of statements really just baffle me. And I think when Jesus does it, he's you know, the the time for proclaiming the kingdom is not at hand, but they just baffle me, man. You I mean you you may be very well be right, yeah. You know, yeah, because we don't really know exactly what the message is, but we know it's not necessarily pure motives, right? But yeah, he says false motives, and that's what I'm caught up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say false teaching. Yeah. It says they preach Christ. Right. So you could stand up there and you could tell me the absolute truth of Christ, but you could be doing it so that you look cool. That's the wrong motive. Taylor was telling me I look good tonight, you know? <laughs> but you're still preaching Christ, because I know your motive is true, but I don't. Sure. I yeah. Yeah, I think my, my hang-up is from the, they can stir up trouble for me, you know. I don't know, I just don't know. It, it's one of those things where context is missing, so it's hard to really come down on a concrete answer. So all of these things, I mean, I think are, are definitely possibilities for sure. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, it's that get quick off the gospel. Yeah. 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 It's just one of those things where it's a probably we'll never we'll never fully know exactly what he's referring to, but all of these all of these guesses are within reason for sure. Absolutely. I'm just baffled, you know, on so what? What does it matter? At least Christ is being preached, you know. Maybe I need to have that attitude. Anyways, let's keep rolling. We haven't even finished verse 18 where he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I don't know why he rejoices so much about this. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is Paul referring back now to his time in prison. Paul is expecting, oh, and this is where, this is where uh, I told you there's two things I messed up last week that I disagree with myself. Matt Damon instead of Matt Dillon. Well, I'm sorry, Matt Dillon instead of Matt Damon. 
this. I made reference in, I, it was just a quip. I probably just said it wrongly. I said, Paul, knowing, the t- knowing his, his time is coming to an end, uh, he may have been thinking that his time was coming to an end. That was true. But Paul, I'm blowing the story. He would get out of prison, okay? He did not, his life did not end after this prison cell. And I made it seem like it did. So that was my, you guys are probably thinking I said something like Jesus isn't Lord or something like that. But just talking about Paul in prison. But he's thinking about his deliverance. He's wondering what's going to happen to me. Just like any of us would wonder because he is on trial. He is, we, we say prison, He's in house arrest. He is going to get an audience to explain his case and they will judge whether he is guilty or innocent. He is wondering what's going to happen. And he says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the, Holy, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. But what he means by deliverance, he's not saying in confidence necessarily that it will be for my release from this physical place. He is going to dive into what that deliverance could look like because it could have multiple meanings. This is what he says in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is referencing his desire to preach Christ, Isaac was bringing this up, no matter the circumstance. In his life, which would mean his release from prison or his death, for this is the sentence that he likely would have received if he would be found guilty. I hope to no way be ashamed. Then he says in verse 21, this this is a verse that you've probably heard before. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a verse that is referenced uh, on tattoos uh, and paintings, all those people's backgrounds on their phones. In the context of this verse, now you know, is that Paul is referring to whether or not he's going to be released from prison. So next time you see somebody with a tattoo or this background on their phone, ask them, you know, if they're going to get out soon. That's just what you can ask them. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he means by to live is Christ is if he will get out of prison, if he'll be released from this house arrest, he will get to continue the ministry of gospel proclamation from city to city like he used to do. But to die is gain. Paul is speaking about personal gain here. He knows the reward awaiting, in, awaiting him by the blood of Jesus. Whether by life or by death, he will glorify God. And he says to live is Christ. I will glorify him if I live and he will be glorified if I die. Time for reflection. I was reading, I do a lot of reading for this class. And uh, the author, I can't remember the name of the author, but he said, it is true for everyone in Christ that to die is gain. That is true. Everybody will receive the reward of Jesus by the blood of Jesus if they are found in him. Then this author said, what is not true, and this one caught me. He said, it is not true that for everyone that to live is Christ. For Paul, it was certainly true. Paul was going to take his life and he was going to glorify Jesus with it. You could make the argument, I suppose, that if you're in Christ, if you're truly in Christ, you will live for Christ. But this author was saying, and I just want us to wrestle with it. 
That's why I'm bringing it up. I want you to wrestle with it by yourself for a moment. Is you to live for, is that Christ? Is the way you live your life for Christ? Or is it for work? Is it for money? Is it for you? Why do you live? Paul lived for Christ. And his plan upon release from prison, if it came, was to continue to live for Christ. And I want you to remember the circumstance that he penned these words in. He was imprisoned for his faith. And he said, to live, whether I'm released or even in this current moment of imprisonment, to live, I will glorify Christ. It's a powerful statement to make. This man has suffered shipwreck. He has suffered stoning, beaten, imprisonment, more than most. And he said, all of this to live and even upon my release is for Christ. I want to be able to say the same for myself with every moment of my life. I'm grateful for Jesus that to die is gain and I want to glorify him in my living as well. Yeah, Asia Minor is where he's talking about, just in general. Are you talking about like life and death and those sorts of things? Oh, okay, yes. Right. Right, I, I hear what you're saying now. Um, it, it's hard to say because we don't have it in Scripture except for those instances which you referenced. So in this moment, I mean, he, seem, he seems to have a great deal of confidence. He says, um, oh man, uh, yeah, verse 25. We haven't actually got to it yet. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy of faith. So the three, Paul has a, Paul will get out of prison and we see in this reading that he has a certain degree, uh, a pretty high degree of certainty that he's going to get out actually before he's even released. Where does this come from? We're not mentioned a vision. We're not mentioned any of that stuff. But we know that Paul, being so close to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, uh, interacting with him, we can assume with a pretty good degree of confidence that he knew something, you know. But the, the, what he knew, we can't talk. We can't really say. What he knew and what he was committed to was glorifying Jesus no matter what happened. But I think, Dan, what you're referring to, I think he had a, you know, probably like a, uh, probably 80% shot I'm going to get out of here. Um, let's talk about why he got out. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, we can talk now about why he got out. There's a few possible options, and he may have been aware uh, of them. The most possible option, I think, is that where he was stirring up controversies for the gospel, uh, it was far away from Rome. He had to take journeys. It would have been, oh, where's my map? They're in the Jerusalem area. Arm wrestling world champions. Good grief. So he would have been down probably in this area at the time. They would have had councils. He probably would have been, um, he would have sailed 
Oh, where did he land? Maybe was it, was it Crete? They had? Is it the Crete they had to go? And then he have to go on to uh, Rome. I think he, they actually landed here as well on this journey. So he had a long journey. The people who were taking him to court necessarily would have had to make that same journey. If they don't show up on court date, right, he gets to walk. And that is the general consensus of why he was let out of prison. We don't have a... Uh, we don't have that in scripture. It would come extra biblical and through uh, reason and you know, deduction of possible options. The likeliest option is that they never made the journey to be there for the court date. We know that Paul spent about two years in prison at this point and it probably came down to the fact that they uh, did not make it there. Now we can also say if that is true, Paul probably had a high degree of confidence that they weren't going to make it there and he speaks with a little bit of confidence that he's probably going to get out. But that's not certain, right? Because they could show up game day or something like that. Yeah, but when he appealed to Caesar, that was a permanent, permanent um, in the sense of, okay, you have to see Caesar now. He can't say like, ah, never mind, never mind. So when he made the appeal, so yeah, Dan's giving some good context that I should have talked about last week. He's in prison because he appealed to Caesar. Basically, things weren't going his way. He wanted to get an audience with Caesar. So he appealed to Rome, basically. And that's why he was sent to Rome on that ship. They had the shipwrecks. Things like you read about in scripture with the handling of snakes, those sorts of things. All that happened on his journey to Rome. He appealed to speak to Caesar, whether he wanted a fair trial because he was a Roman citizen or if he wanted an audience with Caesar. And when we say Caesar, that could have been Caesar himself or would likely have been somebody who was, uh, you know, uh, deputized by Caesar. I don't know the word uh, for that position, but somebody who represented Caesar in the courts. I probably just jumbled everything up. Did we talk, did we answer what you were asking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. So he, yeah, he used. Remember, Ius Italicum. I said that that Latin phrase quite a bit. Ius Italicum. Paul, as a Roman citizen, had the rights that every Roman citizen had. One of those was what we would call a fair trial. There were. Uh, uh, Oh, the group that was trying to kill him, Dan. Help me. Um, what were they called? Oh, there's a group of, of Jewish people trying to kill him. He was under guard with Rome, the Roman soldiers. They were the ones who escorted him back to Rome. He made an appeal basically to get out. They were going to ambush him in his sleep. Um, you can read this towards the end of Acts. Um, Acts 25, 26, 27, that sort of frame. You can read this whole narrative. 28 is where he talks about his journey to Rome. Um, he made an appeal with that Roman guard to take him to Caesar for protection, for fair trial, to get an audience with Caesar possibly. We know that uh, his presence in Rome has been a blessing to the church in Rome. So all of those reasons. Oh, your original question was, uh, did he know he was going to get out basically? Did he have a, an awareness of that? That's why we started talking about that. So maybe he did. Maybe he did it. I don't know. Are we all lost? Are we all, how are we feeling? 
This is why I get nervous teaching because we can start talking about different things, you know, that I didn't have written down. Anyways, we got, we got some verses to get through, guys. And I make a promise because I also have kids in, uh, in kids' ministry settings that we're going to get out by 8 o'clock. Verse 25, but we won't rush it. We'll take up time next week if we need to. Verse 25, let me just back up and read what we had just read. Because we, where did we leave off, guys? I am so sorry. We haven't read 22, right? We're going to start on 22? This is why I like preaching. All right. (laughs) Verse 22. Let's all get our eyes focused on that. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. This is reference to his to live as Christ. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Dan, this is what you're talking about. Does he have an awareness? He He thinks he has a choice in the matter, you know? It's so just wild to me because he doesn't actually have the choice. It's not like he can choose to say, hey, I want to die at your hands. That's not an option that he has. Or, hey, release me now. He was under guard. But he says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. This is for me to die as gain, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, which I love what he's saying is, I would rather be with Jesus than with you guys. So, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He's speaking about his reward in heaven. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. When he says it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, my understanding of this verse is that he is talking about his spiritual leadership in the life of the early church. It may it certainly would be of benefit to the church in Philippi, but I think we can apply this verse to the church in Ephesus, Colossae, Galatia, Thessalonica, Rome. Paul's leadership in the early church, Isaac mentioned it earlier, is begetting courage from other local congregations. The church is better because Paul is here. So he says, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, which is to say that I remain alive to continue the spread of the gospel. And if he is alive, he will can, if he is released, he will keep on working for the spread of the gospel. We know that he will because we know that he was released and we know that he continued to work to spread the gospel. And I made a note on here that we were just laughing about it, even when we weren't talking about it. It seems like Paul has a choice in this matter. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Because from all legal proceedings, he did not have a choice in the matter. He was not in prison. He was in Rome, in prison in Rome by his choice. But he was not in trouble by his choice, if that makes sense. He still had to deal with the courts. And I think, you know, after Dan and I's dialogue right there, I do think he has a pretty high degree of confidence that he will be released. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Notice that language of certainty. I read it earlier, but I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I want us to know, here's probably the biggest takeaway from this whole discussion. I want us to remember that Paul is demonstrating an eternal commit, an, an eternal content while dealing with this internal conflict within himself. He has the internal conflict. Man, I would love to go and be with Jesus because to die is gain. 
but to live as Christ. And he has this eternal contentment while dealing with this internal conflict. So no matter what, whether by life or by death, he will glorify Jesus. We know that Paul will eventually be released from prison after two years and continue his ministry. At this point, Paul switches from talking about himself, really, to talking about the church in Philippi. He says in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and by that and that by God. Now, we don't exactly know what their suffering was. Sir, you, you brought it up or asked the question earlier um, about Philippi and Rome. They're very similar. Their culture would have been similar. Their religious uh, views would have been the same. These Philippian Christians would have been at odds, certainly, with the empire of Rome in more, in more ways than one. So we can safely assume that they suffered the same sorts of persecutions for their proclamation of the gospel, be it stonings or beatings, be it uh, disinformation, false teachers, be it um, just harassment or not getting jobs, those sorts of things, they would have suffered for their faith. And Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I... um, I'll I'll skip ahead and do this. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He's talking again about their persecutions. But I want you to notice this in verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul is making note that it's not just about belief in Jesus, the blessing of Jesus to get to believe and receive eternal life in his name. It is also, and you see this demonstrated, personified in Paul, that it is a blessing to get to suffer and have contentment in Jesus, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. So I don't know what circumstance it might have come to your mind earlier, be it your work circumstance, be it a relationship that you have to deal with in your extended family. I don't know what it might be. It may even be persecution for your faith, harassment, not as liked by the other co-workers, whatever it may be. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus for this has been granted to you. This could be your chains for Christ to proclaim the gospel to whomever you are around in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. A couple of notes there at the bottom. The Philippian Christians should count their suffering for the gospel as being granted to them by Jesus. My last point, in this suffering, he instructs them to be wholly unified. That's not necessarily the language that he uses, but he says phrases like this. I know that you... I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
Now, here's why I had you sit at tables, and here's why I would really encourage you to sit with other people at tables uh, when you come into the room next week and the weeks after. Paul's writing this to a church audience. We know that, the church in Philippi. Here's a critique of the American megachurch. It is really big, and it's really hard to be connected. It's pretty much one of the only, uh, there's several other critiques. I really love a megachurch. Obviously, I work in a megachurch. But that's one of the critiques we should make of a megachurch is it's hard to get connected. The church there in Philippi probably would have been like that small country church where everybody knows everybody, right? This would have been a tight-knit group of people, not necessarily because they all farmed together, but because they all suffered together. They all went through the same things for one reason alone, and that reason was Jesus. And they had to be united together. So here's why I asked you to sit together and to share just a few things about yourself. It's because even in a class like this, it's important for us to know other people that we are with. It's important to be unified. Beautiful things come from unity. Broken things come from disunity. Paul is speaking to a people who is probably very unified. We only have one small instance in the whole book or the letter to the church in Philippi where he asked two people to be of the same mind. We don't even know what the disagreement is about. This church was a good church. This church is a good church. This church is just a big church. And it's important for all of us as individuals to be connected to other people so that we can strive together. Paul does not say it. Let me, let me read this again. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves, not yourself, but yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He is referring to a group of people conducting themselves in one manner, in one way. In our Western mindset, America is the archetype for individualism. Not much of the world is as individualistic as we are. And there are beautiful things from being able to express personal freedoms, beliefs, uh, you name it. But there's also a burden to that when you're alone and by yourself and you can't work together with other people to help. I will brag on one man who was in this class last week. Allison knows who I'm about to talk about. Uh, and he... Um, Correct me of any part of the story that I'm wrong. And you can't tell him that I told you. Actually, I texted him and said, hey, I'm bummed you're skipping class tonight because I'm going to talk about you. So Justin, he, wore, he sat with you guys last week. Justin, honey, he wears a ball cap a lot of the times. Uh, he's in construction. He's a, he's a home builder. And one of his contractors um, got in a car accident, and he, uh, his, his face was all busted up. He had a lot of dental issues because of that, but his insurance didn't cover it or something to that effect. Justin noticed this through conversations. He noticed that it, his face looked different, a little disfigured. Um, he noticed that this guy was in pain a lot. Um, and so Justin just struck up a conversation like, man, what's going on? And this guy was telling him about the hard things that he's going through. And like he's having to, to pry teeth out of his mouth with, with the screwdriver because he can't afford the dentist and all those sorts of things. And obviously this touched Justin's heart. And he's like, I want to do something about it. Dental work is very expensive, uh, especially if you don't have insurance. And so Justin and his family began to save some money in hopes to be able to do uh, a, a good, kind work for this man. And, and uh, then he approached Allison right about this point and asked if Right Here, Right Now could come along. The Right Here, Right Now program, don't ask me about it. Ask Allison about it because she knows it in and out. I know a little bit. If you don't know Allison, you should meet Allison. If you're afraid of Allison for some reason, I don't know why because she's the best. But you should definitely talk to her. <laughs> I'm not lying about Justin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Justin contacted right here, right now, and asked for you know assistance. And hey, can this 
could we, could, could right here, right now, add some more money to this fund? Because this is what I want to do. I want to help this man get dentures um, and, and his teeth removed and those sorts of things so he won't be in pain as much. And um, Allison and the team agreed and the, and the committee agreed. And God connected Justin with this dentist that he had already known and this man whom he was trying to get the surgery for was on, their kids were on the same wrestling team. So this man also kind of knew this dentist and Justin, Justin explained the situation to the dentist and the dentist agreed that whatever Justin and right here right now couldn't pay, he was going to write off. But even more than that, um, he wasn't going to do dentures. He was going to do implants for this, for this man, which is a really cool uh, act of love. And if you think about this, Justin could have gone about it as an individual and just gave him some money and maybe the dentist would have done something, but Justin took it upon himself, but he also brought it in with the whole church, you know, through the Right Here, Right Now program, but also his, his other friend who was a dentist and was able to strive together to serve this man who was um, in pain and, and in need. And that's just a beautiful picture that I wanted to bring up in front of Justin, but he skipped class, so I don't appreciate him anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just a beautiful picture of what it means to strive together that wasn't necessarily, you you know, Justin's suffering, but it was his to live is Christ. This is his way of expressing Christ uh, to another man that he rubbed shoulders with through, uh, you know, physical contract work on, on homes. And I wanted to, to close with that story and encourage Justin. Uh, so if you see him next week, just tell him he's an awesome dude. Uh, but that's really all I have because it's 758 and I make a promise that I won't go over. I keep those promises. So if nobody has any, if you have a question, you can come up afterward. I'm going to pray so you can go get your kids or go save kids' lives, Jack, like you did before class. Father, thank you for this uh, chapter one. As we go through chapter two, three, and four, the next three weeks, would you give us um, understanding and expediency to get through uh, all of this? And uh, Father, next time this class happens, would you grant it to Elijah and Scott as they plan to give me more weeks? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.